I want you to imagine a small church just outside of Dallas. Now, each week as the offering plates are passed, it seems like the Lord supplies just enough to keep the lights on and the preacher paid. Like the manna that God supplied his church in the desert, there are never leftovers. There's just enough to pay the bills. And then one day, something happens. A guest drops something into the plate that the offering counters have never encountered. It's a set of keys, as in automobile keys. So not, not knowing exactly how to proceed or what to do with these keys, the counters call the pastor in. Pa pastor, they say, you know what, we're, we're not quite sure what to do with these keys, but we found them in the offering plate, thinking that someone had placed the keys in the plate in an effort to dump a broken down lemon of a car onto the church. The pastor exclaims, well, great. Let's go out to the parking lot and see if these keys fit an abandoned car. Well, out they go, feeling a, a bit like the sisters holding on to Cinderella's slippers. The counters, along with the pastor, make their way out to the parking lot, carrying with them visions of old, beaten-down cars with dents in their sides, only, to their dismay, what they find is instead a car parked directly in front of the church, a bright red sports car, and the emblem on the front of the vehicle said it all. It read Ferrari. Now, <laughs> before I go on with this story, I really do. I want you to know something. And the first thing I want you to know is that I'm actually not making this story up. This is a true story. It's actually happened in a church not too far away from the church that I served in Carrollton, Texas, in the Plano District. Secondly, I want you to know that the first time I heard this story, it was actually relayed by the pastor of this little church. And it raised up inside of me a single question. Uh, what, what did you do? Or, or maybe better put, what would I do? In fact, can I ask you that? If you put yourself in this scenario, what would you do with the keys to a brand new Ferrari that were just dropped into your offering plate? I mean, part of me thought, I think I know what I would do. I would sell the car. After all, I actually looked this up. This car was worth somewhere in the range of $270,000. Think about that. $270,000 in this little church. That, that would have paid this church's bills for probably several, several years with money left over to do projects the church had never gotten to do. I, I'd sell it. Or, I'm just thinking outside the box right now, I might drive it. Not, not for long, mind you, but who could pass up what it might mean to get behind the wheel of one of the fastest street legal cars in America. I can just imagine the license plate right now, Reverend Speed. So I, I actually don't know what you might do with this scenario, but I, I do know what the pastor did. And, and actually, uh, if I can use a word, the word I'd use is, is humbled. It humbled me. It really did. You know what he did? So he instructed his offering counters to place the kids' keys in his office safe and to to do the homework of discovering the name of the guest who had put the keys into the plate. I need to talk to him, the pastor said, about his walk with Jesus. I, I don't think we can receive this gift until, until we know spiritually what's going on inside of this person. 
in fact, he concluded with these words for me, it was an issue of stewardship. And I thought, wow, what, what a powerful response. So that you're not left hanging, let me tell you how the story ends. The pastor discovered that the keys to the car actually belonged to a professional athlete. I'm not going to use his name, one, because it's not appropriate, and two, because it doesn't matter. But I will tell you that the individual happened to be a football player for the Dallas Cowboy team who happened to be visiting a relative that weekend. The the player shared with the pastor that it had been a long time since he had stepped foot into a church, but that the worship had both inspired him and reminded um, him of his roots. He had grown up in a Christian home. The pastor listened to his story and told him that while he appreciated the gift of the automobile, he would not be able to receive it, apart from knowing that this man was willing to take some next steps towards becoming active with his faith again. And then he used a word, and it's a word that's kind of stuck with me. It's a word I want you to hear and feel today. Here's what he said to that football player. He said, sir, I need you to know that for your soul, I feel a burden. I love that. I think the reason that I've never forgotten that story has to do with a topic that I'm going to set in front of us both this week and next on our God-sized living podcast, namely the topic of burden. And I I want to start just with a question. What, What is burdening you today? So my discovery is that most often when we think about that word, burden, we tend to apply it to things in life that are weighing us down. Would you agree with that? In other words, when I ask people the question, what's burdening you, most often the response that I receive focuses on issues or problems. Someone might say, man, I feel so burdened. I've got this test I have to take for my master's degree. It's going to be comprehensive. In fact, my entire GPA hinges on it. I feel burdened. Well, that, that would be a burden. Or someone might say, oh, pastor, I feel so burdened today with my mom's cancer. Her journey has been hard. Chemotherapy, radiation, she's just beaten down. She's not herself. That, that, that kind of burdens me. Again, definitely, that, that is a burden. But, but today, I, I actually want to use the word in a little bit different way. I want us to use the word at a level that is what I like to call soul deep. I want to think about our burden for souls. Sometimes I think about this, that every day that passes, approximately 150,000 people around the globe die. Their bodies stop functioning. But the soul never stops. Each day, 150,000 souls will depart the bodies that they have lived in and will make their way to one of two places. They will either spend eternity with Jesus, the one who made them for himself, or they'll begin their eternity separated from him. And you know what? That burdens God. But does it burden us? As we make our way back into the story of Daniel today, I really want to look at that question. I want to explore what it means to be receptors of a gift far more valuable than a Ferrari. We're recipients of the most powerful word in the world. And to feel a burden for that word and the souls that God has placed in our lives has to do with where I want to go 
in our podcast today. So let me just tell you that one of the things that got me thinking about this topic is actually a question that my pastor posed to me way back in my teenage years. Now, I'm old, or at least I feel like I'm old. So remembering a story that my pastor shared with me decades ago is pretty much a miracle. But I, but I really do remember it, probably because it made a huge impression on me. It hit me soul deep. Here was, here was this question. It was in the middle of a sermon. And he, and he turned to the congregation. He says, I want you to pretend something. I want you to pretend today that you're walking down the beach when you come upon an empty bottle. And you pick it up and you notice writing on the outside of the bottle. It reads, genie inside. Rub this bottle and make one wish for anything in the world. Then he stopped and he said, so what would you ask for? Now, being a teenager, I actually had a pretty long list of things that I would ask for. Should I ever encounter a genie in a bottle? Cars, I, I wanted a Corvette. Boats, all I knew is I wanted one that could pull a slalom ski at a nuclear speed. Airplanes, I loved airplanes. When I, when I was a teenager, I had pictures in my room of a rocket ship of a turboprop made by the Mooney Company. I'll take one of those. Make it two. Now, I, I don't know how you would answer the question, but I'll never forget the way my pastor answered it. Here's what he said. He says, you know what? I, I don't know what you named in this moment as you thought about this question. But for me, there's only one thing that I would ask for. I would ask for a copy of tomorrow's newspaper. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember thinking, that is the most ridiculous, that is the most ridiculous answer in the world. You can have anything you want. Airplanes, cars, you ask for a newspaper? And then he made it make sense. I, I remember him saying, some of you are probably doubting my intelligence right now. Uh, duh. I could have money, fame, or riches, but instead I asked for a newspaper. But there's a reason I did. He said, you see, if I could have tomorrow's newspaper today, I could know how every stock in the stock market would perform. Which ones would go up, which ones would suffer loss. And armed with that data alone, I could make millions, if not billions of dollars overnight. Oh, and I would know the outcome of every sporting event. Can you imagine knowing every team that would win and every team that would lose? Knowing which horses would win their race and which, is, which ones would lose? Which car would come in first in the NASCAR and which would come in last? If you knew all of that and could bet on it to each event... You would make so much money, not even the bank could hold it all. And you know what? He was right. And all of a sudden, tomorrow's newspaper made sense. It would become a powerful tool towards riches. But then he said something that stopped me, maybe all of us, in our tracks. I remember him saying as he continued, but if I had tomorrow's newspaper today, I would also know something else. I would know which people would not be alive the next day. Who would lose their lives? And somehow, if I knew that, I would be carrying into the next day a significant burden. Do you know what made sense to me about that, and, and it really still does, is the reality that in a small way, we as followers of Jesus Christ do have tomorrow's newspaper in our hands today. 
We know his story from beginning to end, and we hold this story in our hands, and we're called to share it with those who God places into our lives, which in many ways creates its own sort of burden. So listen to me. Isn't that exactly where we meet Daniel at the end of chapter 7? You know, over the last few weeks, we've been walking through a dream that God gave to Daniel, describing events that lay in the future. God was handing Daniel tomorrow's newspaper. Through the dream, Daniel is given access to a part of history that was inaccessible to any human mind on earth. In his dream, God has shown Daniel, first, the overthrow of the Babylonian Empire. Now, did Daniel know the exact date of the overthrow? No. Did he know the name of the ruler, in this case, Darius or Cyrus of Persia, who would overthrow Babylon? No, but, but he did know that this overthrow was coming and he knew it 14 years before it actually took place. While most of the world looked at Babylon with its fortress walls and counted it impenetrable, Daniel looked at it in light of tomorrow's newspaper. He knew that at its prime, it was already as good as gone. Secondly, God showed Daniel the overthrow of Persia by the Greeks. What started off as a small segment of of human population would become underneath Alexander the Great, an unstoppable force that would sweep much of the globe. Now, did Daniel know the name Alexander? No, he hadn't even been born. But Daniel had tomorrow's newspaper. And in a clear and precise way, God showed him that the overthrow of Persia would become a reality. Thirdly, God showed Daniel what would happen to Greece at the death of Alexander the Great. Who, who could have known that? That after Alexander died his kingdom, Greece would be split into four parts? Only someone with tomorrow's newspaper could know that. And Daniel did. Then God showed Daniel the fall of Greece at the hands of Rome. During the golden age of Greece, no one on earth could have known or even guessed that Rome as a republic would rise up to become a historical oddity an empire that would expand to the ends of the earth over an expansive period of time. But Daniel saw it. Oh, he, he didn't know the names, Caesar, Augustus, Nero, Vespian, Domitian. But he knew that a kingdom would reign over the length of multiple rulers, with one of these in particular rising up against the kingdom of God in a significant way. Yet finally, and most importantly, Daniel knew that through all of this, there was one kingdom that would, in fact, rise up as unstoppable, undefeatable. There was one kingdom that would rise up above all those that he had seen. There was one kingdom that would endure forever, and that kingdom, he knew, belonged to his God. Daniel held tomorrow's newspaper in his hands, and he trembled with burden. I want you to hear Daniel's words at the very end of chapter 7. Daniel writes, this is chapter 7, verse 28. I want to read this, and let's just pray, pray over it. Lord, uh, speak to us in these words. They're powerful words. Amen. Here's, here's what he writes. Daniel 7, verse 28, quote, Here is the end of the matter. Now, the dream is ended, and he says, Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed but I kept the matters in my heart, end quote. Isn't that the epitome of burden? I've always tried to pay attention to the Aramaic words that 
are underneath our translations, our English translations of the Bible. And this is interesting to me that the Aramaic word underneath the translated term alarmed, as in my thoughts greatly alarmed me, Daniel saying, this whole dream just alarmed me. Well, the, the Aramaic word underneath it has, has a very interesting connotation. The, the word that's used here is the word bahal. My thoughts behalled me, alarmed me, behalled me. Now, here's what I find significant. The most literal word in the English language for bahal is the term terrified. Not terrified as in the idea of having fear over, but terrified as in the idea of feeling the weight of. So we might say it this way if we were to use a modern-day paraphrase. Daniel's saying, what God showed me wrecked me. Inside of me, I was wrecked. So let me ask you a question. Why was Daniel wrecked through what God showed him? I think we could say, well, you know, what God showed him was overwhelming. No, no doubt about that. I, I don't think any human mind would be capable of taking in the full sweep of history that God showed Daniel and not be overwhelmed. But I think there's more going on here. I believe that what wrecked Daniel was his understanding of the place in, of Israel in the story that God was unfolding for him. Think about this. Israel is an exile when Daniel receives this dream from God. And why? Why is Israel in exile? Because it has failed to be Israel. Because the people of God that were called to bring the gospel to the world had turned inward and gotten lost. Israel, the very people that God had called to be his light to the world, had become dark. And now God was making a move in history. He, God, had exiled his own people for the purpose of bringing them back to himself and back to the mission that he had given them. Now he was getting ready to move again. And God was calling Daniel to play a significant role in helping post-exilic Israel rediscover its place in God's burden for the world. Through Daniel, God was calling his people to join him again in living with a burden for those who did not know him. I've always believed that this is why Daniel describes himself in verse 28 as holding this matter in his heart. And you know what? Daniel would carry the burden of this dream with himself for years to come, seeking to impart it into the lifeblood of the church, which is an interesting way brings us back today with a question that we began with. Do you feel burdened in your hearts today? I want to close with that question. We're going to pick up uh, with this again next week, and I want to close it out by making an application to the church today. Let's walk away today with just that sense of a man who feels burdened for those who do not know the Lord. Well, keep me in your prayers. I'm going to keep you and your family in my prayers. And until next week, have a God-sized week. Mm -hmm.